Um, good morning. <laughs> um, my name is Kirsten, and I lead the kids and family ministry here at Awakening, and it's fun to see all these kids' t-shirts. feels like I'm with my people. <laughs> um, so I wanted to start with a confession. Um, so I love, I love teaching, but I get, normally, I get really... Um, very, very nervous in situations like this, insanely nervous. But about a year ago, I listened to this TED talk by Simon Sinek, some of you might know him, and he, he was making these observations about Olympic athletes, and he noticed that whenever they were interviewed by reporters before or after a big event and asked whether they were nervous, they would all respond by saying, no, they were excited. So bottom line of his talk is that he... Um, he discovered that you know, when you are fearful, your body responds a certain way. Your heart starts beating faster, your adrenaline starts pumping, your palms get sweaty. And, but he also found that when you get excited, your body responds the same way. So, so he figured out that what Olympic athletes were doing is they were taking the body's signs of fear and reinterpreting it as excitement. And I thought that was revelational, and I've always kept that in the back of my pocket for a day such as this. So I'm very excited, very excited <laughs> to be with you today. Um, so, yeah, so as um, Chris said, I'm on staff here at Awakening, but before I took this job, my, um, I did something a little bit different. I was born and raised in South Africa, and I studied a Bachelor of Science degree in Oenology and Viticulture, which is basically the science of vineyards and winemaking. And I made wine in South Africa for five years. I did a vintage in France, and I, when we, then we moved to the States, and I did about seven years of winemaking. I made wine for a couple of wineries on the East Bay and consulted for a few others. So the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because I just wanted to share some of the insights I gained uh, from my life as a winemaker and how it applies to scripture. So, um, so today's, yeah, today's sermon will include some agricultural lessons. So, um, so as you've probably noticed, Jesus um, many times in the scripture um, uses agricultural illustrations to help us understand a little bit more about the kingdom. So he uses a lot of, lot of different plants and and, and fruits, but the most mentioned ones are probably the olive tree and the vine or grapes. So in Jesus' day in Israel, there were lots of olive trees, and olive oil was used in cooking, was used as me for medicinal purposes, was used as fuel for lamps, and it was also used in consecration ceremonies to um, anoint people. And then vines were also widely planted in Israel. Um, in fact, Israel is pretty well suited to the cultivation of grapes. And um, the, 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 the image of a vine on a hill, a vineyard on a hill, surrounded by a wall and cleared of stones was actually the natural emblem of the kingdom of Judah. And it was also found on the coins and the image was also used on um, artifacts and stuff in the temple and was also found on the tombstones of the Jews. So. The Jewish people were very familiar with vines and vineyard imagery, and so it had a lot of significance for them. But to us in the Silicon Valley, the significance obviously sometimes gets lost because we're not a predominantly agricultural society anymore. Um, so it's impossible to talk about all the, you know, all the agricultural illustrations in the Bible, so I just wanted to focus on two today. And the first one is, um, uses the image of an olive tree, and it concerns the nation of Israel and the Gentile believers. Um, so if you've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament, you would know that the, the Israelites was um, 
the, the God's chosen people. They were a nation that God wanted to set apart to be holy unto him. And he asked the Israelites to serve him only, not to be drawn away by other gods, and to obey his commandments because he wanted to bless them, and then through them the rest of the nations would be blessed. Um, his design for Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles so that they could also come to know God. But as you probably know, the Israelites continually chased after other gods and they rebelled against God and they basically forfeited their calling. But God knew that they were going to do this, so in his mercy and grace, he had already put a plan in place to restore Israel back unto himself through his son Jesus. But when Jesus came as the promised Messiah, he was also rejected. So Jesus then called the disciples and instructed them to preach the gospel of the kingdom, not just to the Jews and the um, Israelites, but to the rest of the world, to the Gentiles, to anyone who would come. Um, and so he gave them this opportunity to also become children of God and share in the blessings and the promises of Israel. So this is what Paul says in Ephesians. He says this, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then in Romans, Paul again talks about this concept, but this time he uses the image of an olive tree. And he says this, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. So what Paul does here is he compares Israel to the, um, the branches of a cultivated olive tree that were broken off. And he compares the Gentiles to these wild olive shoots that are now able to be grafted in to this olive tree and become part of it. Okay, so I love this imagery of grafting that is used, but to understand the significance, you have to know what grafting is. So here's your first lesson. So what grafting is in simple terms is you basically take the branch from one plant and you, com you connect it to the rootstock of another plant. So the rootstock is the kind of the bottom half of the plant that includes the roots and part of the trunk. And so you have to cut the branch from the one plant and expose the what's called the vascular cambium. And then you also have to cut the rootstock so that its vascular cambium is exposed. Now the vascular cambium is the part of the plant that produces the xylem and the phloem. And the xylem and the phloem are the parts of the plant that transport nutrients and water up and down the plant. So it's kind of like the blood, blood vessels in your body, same type of thing. Um, so these get connected and tied up and then as they start functioning together, they literally the tissues start growing into each other and they become one permanent connection. And so this branch can continue to live and grow as it's supported by this new rootstock. Pretty cool, right? Um, so what God is trying to show us with this picture of the olive tree is that we as foreigners, like these branches, were not previously part of this prized plant, this olive tree, this cultivated olive tree. But now we are able to be grafted in to this and become part of this olive tree and become part of his covenant people and we get to partake of the blessings and the promises of Israel. Okay, amen. <laughs> um, so hold that thought. I wanted to take you just now to the second image. This one is in uh, John 15, and Jesus is here talking to his disciples on the last night before he gets arrested. So it's a very intimate moment, him with his disciples. And he likens himself to a vine 
and his followers or believers as branches. Um, so it's a long verse. I'm just going to kind of skip a few pieces because there's so much in this verse. So it says this, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And then in the verse 4, it says this. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, <coughs> that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples." So now there is so much in this verse that we can talk about. But for today, I just wanted you to focus on this thing. So Paul takes us from this image of this olive tree and us being grafted into the nation of Israel and becoming partakers of the blessings and the promises of Israel. But then Jesus takes us to this even more intimate image where we are grafted into Christ the vine. So we are grafted into not just a nation, but we are grafted into a person, the son of the living God. You can say amen to that. <laughs> um, so, the, but the cool thing about the grafting image, which kind of takes it even a little bit deeper, is this: is um, you could probably yeah pull those up. Um, so, when we graft, um, the rootstock needs to be cut open, needs to be wounded, needs to be cut open. Why? So that so that it can receive the branch, and the grafted branch needs to be severed from whatever it was depending on for nourishment before. And then these two pieces need to be bonded in such a way it needs to be a really clean, tight connection so that they can grow into each other and these vascular systems can bond. So hopefully you're getting the picture now is that this grafting is this picture of extreme intimacy and connection. And Jesus, as the vine, was wounded for our transgressions so that we can be become part of him. And if you are a follower of Christ, you have to sever yourself from whatever you were depending on for your life and nourishment before. And hanging on to what you trusted in in the past is not going to work anymore. And in the same way, when you, when we, 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 if we want to grow in Christ, then we have to be bonded him, to him in such a way that our life's nourish, nourishment and that what feeds us and that what nourishes us and that what fills us is his life-giving spirit. Isn't that awesome? Um, oh, yes, but there's one more thing. <laughs> That's a cool part. So, um, I, oh, darn it, I had a branch, so I was going to bring, so I was going to hold up the branch and say, so every fruit tree has the potential for fruit, right? But every fruit tree is not um, suited well to the environment in which it is planted. So this is why we use a rootstock, because we pick a rootstock that is particularly suited to in the environment that it is, is needing to grow in, and it's particularly resistant to the pests and the diseases and the dangers inherent in that environment. So when we get grafted in, um, we are now dependent on a rootstock that is suited for that environment to sustain us and give us life. So when we are grafted in, um, into Christ, he is the rootstock that sustains us and gives us life. Um, so the whole point is, is, you know, is that all of you have fruit, right? All of you have potential fruit that God desires. He's made you, and there's fruit that only you can produce. Um, but you need to be grafted into a rootstock that is able to, to sustain you and give you life. And his name is Jesus. 
The point is that you were never meant to do this life on your own. You were built and designed to be connected to God in such a way that He is the one that sustains you and empowers you. So now, Jesus has done His part, right? He's already been wounded for our transgressions. He's, he's done His part. So our role is to choose. You have to choose whether you believe what He did for you, and then if you do that, you are grafted in. It's done. You don't have anything to do with the grafting. You just have to say, okay. But then there is um, a part for us to play as well. Because Jesus uses this imagery, uh, this word the whole time in John 15, this word abide, which is this beautiful word, word. He keeps on saying, abide in me and I in you. Abide in my love, me and you, you and me. Let my word abide in you and so forth. So I wanted to just look at this word abide and see, you know, exactly what does it mean? What does it mean to abide in Jesus. So allow me to use the dictionary to help explain. So to abide in Jesus means to stay, not to depart, to be present with him, to dwell, to continue in a particular condition or attitude or relationship, to last, to endure, to stand, to sustain or withstand without yielding, to wait for him, to remain as one with him, not to become another or different. So you can sit on those words for a week and I think you'll get a lot you know, of revelation in that. But it's basically speaking of a place where we are so connected to him um, that it's a spiritual place where we connect with him, right? Because God is spirit and he says we worship in him spirit and in truth and we are spirits. That's how we connect with him in our spirits. And that's the place where we abide with him. Um, and it's not a place where we just visit. It's a place where we are called to dwell like all the time. Um, so how do we abide? How do we do this abiding, remaining with him, remaining as one with him, staying present with him? Well, we could do a whole sermon on that as well, but I wanted to just touch on a few things. So one of the things is obviously is we just need to spend time with God. Just like in a friendship, um, you don't get to a level, that level in your friendship where you, you know, finish each other's sentences by just seeing each other once a week or going for coffee once a week. You get to that point in your friendship when you do life together, when you go through the ups and downs together, when you are communicating all the time. And God calls us into that type of friendship with Him. So you can't get away from just spending time with Him, you know? And then the second thing is, is the Word. Like God's given us His Word and we remain present with God. We abide with Him when we spend time in the Word because God is present in His Word. Um, God's given us this amazing book about the history of his people and the extent to which he has gone to show his love for his people. But it's more than just a historical book. It's like alive and powerful and supernatural. And it's like this mirror to your soul. And it's able to just supernaturally like change you and move you and show you things about God's heart and about the things in your heart that he wants to change or grow. And then the, the third thing is, is what I call like the tuning in. And the, the first two, the spending time with God and reading his word, you could actually do those two and still not really be abiding. Um, so the abiding part is all about this, this whole relationship that we've been called into. Um, so abiding is kind of just a leaning in and a listening for him. And it's the difference between going throughout your day and doing your own thing and then at night, you know, checking in with God, and which is great. But that versus going through your day but, but doing it with Him all the time, checking in with Him and, and listening to what He's saying to you and s trying to figure out what He's doing so that you can tune into that. Um, it's kind of like, I liken it to like 
radio waves, you know. Um, radio waves were around a long time before man figured out he could tap into that and make tools to do that. Um, and God is the same, you know, God is always moving and he's doing things and he's speaking all the time. And so he's given us the tools to tap into that. And the tool is us because that's the way we have been designed. We have been designed to communicate with that. So we just have to, to lean in and to be listening for him. And it's often not this massive shift. It's often, to me, this, like, this subtle shift in how you, how you focus like, through your day, of just becoming just aware of what he's saying and what he's doing. Um, I, I mean, we have, and it's something we have to practice, right? So sometimes I will um, put little um, alarm, a kind of reminder on my phone throughout the day at various times, just to remind myself to kind of check in and see, okay, where am I? Am I, am I listening for God? Am I tuning into what he's saying? Am I, what do, you know, or what, Lord, what do you want me to know about where I'm just now? What do you want me to know about this meeting? Or what do you want me to know about this person in front of me? So it's that slight adjustment, but it can have a profound effect because it means that whenever God is moving and doing something and we're nudging you, you're aware of it. Um, okay, so... Um, then the why abides. Because, firstly, it's this incredible gift and privilege that God has given us to be connected to, I mean, he's the creator of the universe, right? He made you, and he's given you this privilege to connect with him and share, literally like share his mind and his heart. So if that isn't profound enough, then secondly, you know, it's, this is how, in John 15, it says, this is how fruit is produced in our life. In verse 5, it says, He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So a branch doesn't squeeze and strive to produce fruit. The branch's only job is to con stay connected to the vine. When you stay connected to the vine, the fruit will come by itself. The roots stop. Jesus does all of that. Our only job is to stay connected to the vine and to hang out in the sun. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so and then Jesus also goes on to say in verse 11 these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full so it says when we abide in him our joy will be full because his life giving spirit is flowing through us but there's another reason to abide because Jesus says in verse 5 for without me you can do nothing he says without me you can do nothing he doesn't say we can do a little less it actually says we can do nothing. So on one level, it's basically saying that anything, any, any, anything we do that is not born out of that flow and out of that presence, it's kind of like dead works. And I know it sounds really harsh sometimes, but Jesus never calls us to do something that he hasn't modeled for us himself. Because Jesus says this about himself. He says in John 5, 9, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the, the son also does. And in John 14, 10, he says this, Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own. Instead, it is the father dwelling in me, performing his works. So even Jesus said he can do nothing. So he modeled for us this absolute dependence and connection with God. And we are called into the same intimate connection. So, you know, Jesus was human, just as we are. So we are human. And then Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God, the same as we are. We have the same Spirit of God inside of us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you and me. 
So the only difference between us and Jesus is the degree of our connection to the Father. So we have the same access, the same access that Jesus had to the Father, we have. So what are you going to do with that access? So I wanted to just, oh no, one more thing. <laughs> I wanted to say, the amazing thing then, to just to finish off in John 15, the amazing thing about um, being connected to the Father like this is that as we get to know him, you know, it's like, like kind of like with a friend. You start to you start to think like he does, and you start to f- feel like he does, and the same things that move his heart move your heart. And that is why Jesus can say in verse 7 that if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. Because then we're not asking amiss. We are asking what is already on the Father's heart. And this is why Jesus, every person he met, every person he encountered, got saved, got healed, delivered, because he was asking what he already saw his Father doing. And that is the gift of abiding in him. So I wanted to just end off with this story. Um, In the beginning of the summer, um, we were fortunate enough to spend a couple of weeks in Italy. And I was walking through these fields of sunflowers and I was talking to God about this whole abiding thing and how, since we all have the spirit, the same spirit of God inside of us, how we can access more of him and how we can let that spirit flow through us more so that it, you know, it just starts leaking out. Um, and I was walking past this field of bushes. There were these, I wish I took a picture, but there were these grassy um, very delicate grassy bushes and there were hundreds of them and as the breeze was blowing the bushes were kind of just swaying in the breeze and it was beautiful beautiful sight and I, when I asked God this question like how do we how do we get more of his spirit how do we access more of his spirit and I just heard him say that you have to be soft you have to be soft and flexible and bendable like these bushes so that whenever he breathes and then whenever he moves, like you're aware of it and you move with him. And I love that picture. Um, and then, you know, I asked him, okay, God, but how do we, how do we become soft? How do we become soft towards you? And I just heard him say, you know, and this is how easy God speaks to us. He just, it's just that little thought that comes to your head or that little still small voice that you hear. I asked God, how do we become soft to you? And I just heard him say, by getting a revelation of my heart. And every time I say this, I get emotional. <laughs> Darn it, second time today. <laughs> um, because I think it just, it just surprised me because it wasn't the answer that I was expecting. But when you think about this whole story, it makes so much sense because this, everything we've been talking about today and even what we've been singing about today talks about this God who's gone through history and it's this, the whole Bible, the story about how God is chasing his people, just like we were singing, chasing his people and going after his people and, and, and giving them his son. And then, as if that wasn't good enough, allowing us to come into this incredible intimate connection with him where we literally are invited into communion with him every day, every second of the day. And that just reveals it's hard. And I know it doesn't make sense half of the time because I think we just have no idea how good he is and how much he loves us. Um, 
So when we were when I was walking past these bushes, I couldn't help but notice like a telephone pole next to it on the left side of the field. And of course this breeze was moving and this telephone pole was not. And it was like this stark opposition between being bendable and being this pole was just it was a dead branch, it was a dead tree. And and you know, God says, like I said, he says that Without him, we can do nothing. So not only are our works dead, if it's not born in him, but life without him is dead. There just is no life without him. And you were meant to be grafted in because he gives you life. And without him, you are not going to become the person he were created to be. In John 17, 3, it says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So as I call up the worship team, I just wanted to say this, that if you, um, if you don't know him, please don't leave here today without just making right with God. I know sometimes this whole story sounds too good to be true, but there really is a God who knows your name. And if, you are <laughs> if your heart is beating a little faster, or if your palms are sweaty, it might be a little fear, might be a little excitement. It might also be the Holy Spirit who's kind of just nudging you. So don't walk away here today without just tapping the person next to you to pray with you. Or we've got a prayer team in the front and in the back going to pray with someone. We're going to do communion now and do two worship songs. So you have a lot of time. But don't wait till the end. When the Spirit nudges, you go for it. And if you, if you do know Jesus... Um, then I just want to encourage you that there's always more. There's always more. We will spend the rest of our lives and the rest of eternity discovering the more of God and the beauty of God and the love of God and the heart of God. Um, so if you're a believer, you have the opportunity to take partake in communion today. And I just wanted you to think of uh, not only what you bring to the cross and some of the things you might still need to sever from so that you can be more fully grafted in and become one with Christ, but also think of what you exchange at the cross, what, it, what you have been invited into to literally become part of God's people, but also to become part of him. And remember that God is not um, an influence. He's not this benevolent God that is trying to influence us. You have been invited into literally be part of the essence of God, that close. He wants, literally wants himself to flow through you. I just wanted to pray. So Jesus, I just thank you for this morning, Lord. And just pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, if you are moving, Lord, help us to feel where you are moving, Lord. If you are nudging us, Lord, please help us to know what it is that you're saying. Lord, we thank you for your incredible love, Lord, that chases us down. Lord, that you will never stop going after us, Lord. I just pray that we would start going after you in greater and greater measure, Lord. We give you all the glory because you are such a good God. In Jesus' name.